Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank, Drexel University, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. You mentioned you are with the... Is it the Design Center? It's a Center for Functional Fabrics. Center for Functional Fabrics. Tell us a little bit about that. How long has that been in existence? Um, So I have been at Drexel for a little over 11 years now. And um, I am uh, at the Westfall College of Media Arts and Design. I am an industrial designer by training and a fashion designer by practice. And up to the time that I came to Drexel, I was a practicing fashion designer. And um, I came at Drexel 11 years ago uh, to really try to start a research program in smart textile and functional fabrics. Uh, So we started on this particular research agenda about 10 years ago. And uh, five years ago now, we... uh, uh, started a partnership with a industrial knitting machine company called Shimaseki. And with that company, we started at the time uh, what we call the Shimaseki Hotech Lab, where we are looking to figure out how we can produce and make um, at scale uh, functional textiles. So fast forward in that history, uh, two and a half years ago, Uh, We started the Center for Functional Fabric, which is really focused on trying to understand and solve issues in manufacturing of functional textile that are also called um, uh, smart textile, e-textile. There's a whole bunch of names that goes with uh, functional textile, functional fabrics. Gotcha. And let's drill down a little bit on that. Can you give us some examples of what a functional fabric actually is or something that, you know, the average person might be able to say, oh, I get it. So there's a lot of example out there. So functional textile are basically fabric that have been engineered to perform a specific function. So uh, you can think about uh, the textile that we wear every day. That's one of the easiest example. Of course, they have a particular function of covering ourselves, etc. But they don't have functionality in them like our smartphone does. So if you want to think about functional fabric, you can think about fabrics that become a device, the device itself, right? So what would it be like to be able to have your... Um, Shirt monitors you. So there's a few now that are coming to market of these types of textile who are now engineered to really being these devices that you can wear every day and really kind of monitor your health, etc. They could be other textile that are, you know, embedded in carpets uh, that can sense your gait and the way that you walk. Um, they can be textile that can harvest energy. So really starting to think about adding functionality into the textile, turning a textile into a service, basically. And this is textile 
functionality that is not necessarily intrusive. You don't even know necessarily that the technology is doing what it's intended to do. Yes, you're correct. So we're looking to create these textile and embed the technology into them, but the technology should disappear. Right. So in order for these textiles to be very successful, I believe that the technology has to go away. So can you create a textile device that can act and monitor or, you know, know your vitals, but you don't have to think about adjusting it and making it comfortable? It should be part of your uh, what you wear every day without thinking about it. Gotcha. And um Genevieve, I, I may have had the privilege of uh, seeing one of your presentations, actually. So my work at Select Greater Philadelphia, which is part of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, uh, is to uh, bring new businesses here. So we work pretty closely with Drexel. We often will bring delegations and businesses through, and sometimes we um, have a connection with you and your team. And I remember one distinct one. There was a, uh, a band, I guess you would call it, right. that an expectant mother would wear, and the technology allowed the monitoring of the child's development um, while he or she was developing. Right. Is that um, advancing? Is that a good example of how smart technology can allow us to, to live better lives? Yeah, I think that uh, the, the smart fabric belly band is a very good example of that. Uh, one of the reasons is that Right now, someone who's being monitored, uh, a pregnant woman who's being monitored has to be tethered to a monitor. Uh, it has wires. So imagine a time where you could um, wear a monitoring device where that has that is where wireless, doesn't require power, allows you to move and to be very comfortable. So, um, in fact, the medical field has a really... Um, it, it presents lots of really great opportunity to allow us to carry on living our lives still while being monitored when it's necessary. So I think that medical textile devices are a um, very interesting space to explore. Um, another example it could be if you could have such a device, the belly band can not only monitor uh, a mother's contraction, but it can also monitor breathing. It also has the ability, because it's uh, driven by uh, an RFID chip, it has the ability to know where you are in the house. So that's another opportunity for elderly, for example, right? So you could wear something being extremely comfortable. It feels just like wearing a T-shirt. And then suddenly uh, your loved one could make sure that you're okay uh, without worrying too much, you know, just by looking at their phone or looking at the monitor and kind of checking whether or not. There was another example that you shared that um, I think it was a glove or yeah. gloves that allowed. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they were doing. Do they right. mimic a person's um, movements or how does that actually Right. Flow? So this... Um, we made uh, what we call an exoskeleton um, glove, and we were looking at taking some of the exoskeleton glove that we've seen in the past that are um, engineered with big hinges on the hand, etc. We posed the question whether we could remove a lot of these bulky pieces of hardware that were helping to move the hand and just simply create a glove that could really uh, mimic your, the shape of your hand so that 
you could wear this glove to help you move your hand, let's say if you're a stroke victim, but that it just feels like a glove. So again, trying to make the technology disappear so when we're helping someone rehabilitate, they don't learn to rehabilitate with a big clunky device having to kind of figure out how they were going to grab a cup of tea with this big device and simply have a glove and think, what would it feel like for the technology to disappear? So now this is a smart textile of some kind because we have these special blends of fiber into the glove. However, it still has motor, but we've removed the technology as far away from the hand as possible. So all the technology is in the in the cuff of the above the wrist. Gotcha. And, and I like that description. It's a, it sounds like it's a very natural, smooth integration of of a glove that we'd all expect and have have some appreciation for, as opposed to this big clunky device that in and of itself can be intimidating. And especially if you're looking to just simply pick something up without crushing it or without manipulating it in a way that's inappropriate. Yeah. It's very important at the center that we work in transdisciplinary teams. So we bring design at the onset of the scientific process. We work across uh, all the discipline. So, you know, so we think about in an industrial design perspective about the human factor and how the object should be designed. And then we worked with engineering. um, And then we also work with sociologists, right? So what's the market pull and would a customer, a patient really want to wear this? And so how do you design a very human centered way, and also design in a way that at every step of the process, you check back on the feasibility of what you're doing, not just in a production standpoint, but also in a human factor standpoint. And, and does it make sense? That's, uh, that's a really great perspective. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to talk about a couple things. One is you, you had mentioned the Shima Siki Halt Technology Lab. Talk with us a little bit about the engagement with industry, because Drexel University, well-known entity, not only in greater Philadelphia, but around the country and perhaps even around the world. Um, How do you partner with industry to advance the research and the academic approach that you bring so that projects move forward? Um, The industry connection is really important because they really understand what they need in order to take something to market. So I think that that's one of the things that we really focus on. And so how do you... um, one one of the way that we have worked for with Shimaseki, for example, is uh, not at the design perspective, but it's that in the manufacturing perspective, right? So to us, it was really important to have a manufacturing partner that could work with us so that we can show that the things that we produce in the lab are manufacturable and scalable. So this then would allow um, someone, 
a startup, for example, who's interested in either licensing something that we've done or co-developing something with us to understand that we will look at it in in a sense that it's also going to be manufacturable. So if it's manufacturable, it's really much more enticing for an industry to work with us because they know we're thinking about those things at the onset of the research. And therefore, what we make will be likely easier to commercialize. Uh, this might sound like a silly question, but talk with us a little bit about how the students play a role in, in all this. And what's the type of typical student that's attending Drexel that would be engaged in this kind of work? Uh, so we are a research lab, so we don't have courses per se. So we are really involved in sponsoring some PhD students uh, who are really looking into uh, doing Research, but also are really interested in commercialization. Um, we also have co-op students. We often uh, offer co-ops to some of our students that are, are interested in research, but also want to understand what it is to create a product. So those students we engage as well. And so we really look at students from all discipline. Right. Again, how do you bring everyone under one roof to look at a problem for from many different perspectives? So a designer will be working with an engineer, and then we'll be working with a sociologist, and we all look at the same problem together. And that helps them to be trained for um, a job in the real world, right? Because today, any of the R&D company that we work with have people from all discipline on their team. So for our student to have this type of experience is invaluable because they know how to talk uh, with people who have really different point of view than they have. Of all the projects that are happening right now in your lab, Functional Fabrics, Drexel University, what excites you the most? It could be two could be three. <laughs> I think for me, what excites me the most has moved beyond project. It's, um, it's more about really thinking about how we're going to bring manufacturing back to this country, how we're going to excite the next generation to be makers again, and to really want to be innovators. So a What's really exciting is when you see the teams of people coming to work together, really being excited about innovation, but also wanting to to make and starting to have that passion to get something done. And that passion informs their learning, their ability to create the tools that they need in order to make it happen and really not to be afraid to innovate or to try something. It's just to remove the boundaries that we typically see with making. So I think one great example this summer, we had a group of really young students and they came to me and they say, we know we need to do all of this. Um, uh, we know we need to do all of this characterization and this analyze of the textile and we simply don't have the skill set to do it. And my answer to them is, you can't say you don't have the skill set. 
you have to say, how am I going to acquire the skill set that I need in order to do this? Because we all start at a point where we don't know something. So what we love to do in the lab is push people to learn to learn. And once you know how to do that, then you don't have boundaries. I love that you see Philadelphia as a innovator, maker, manufacturing environment, because it's really in our DNA historically, and, and you may know that, but I'm curious, um, did you have that in your mindset um, when you were outside Philadelphia looking in? Did your image and brand of Philadelphia uh, correspond, if you will, with, oh, Philadelphia is a great manufacturing town, or Philadelphia used to be a great manufacturing town, and it has the it has the infrastructure and the bones? Um. I don't know at which point I felt that Philadelphia was the right place, but there's certainly the excitement of making and resourcefulness that is there that is really exciting and can be contagious. Um, I also think that Drexel was one of the perfect place for that. And one of the reasons is, of course, we're a very comprehensive university where you have a lot of different discipline under one roof. And I think while it's really important for us to collaborate broadly, nationally and internationally, there's something to be said about being able to think about something and need an expertise and being able to walk across campus to discuss it. Because that helps break the boundaries and really helps you expand the collaborative network uh, very quickly. And I think that Philadelphia is very similar in that way. So if we can grow the collaborative network within the city, then the region, then it can grow exponentially. I want to do a little bit of a historical reflection. Take me back to 2006, 2007 timeframe. What were you doing then? And what was it about Drexel that caused you to say, you know what, I want to shift gears and I want to join Drexel University and help grow this this initiative? Um, I'll go maybe a couple years earlier than that. Um, I had a very good, very great career as a fashion designer, uh, but I did mostly couture work, which means one of a kind pieces. Um, and... What was fascinating to me is during that time, I invented a few processes uh, to transform fabric into permanently textured textiles. And over that period, I became much more interested in the process than the, the piece itself. And so I wanted to start thinking about recontextualize the work that I was doing, think about research, material processes, and also manufacturing. Because everything that I did was one of a kind, so it was hand done. And I have nothing against hand work, but it's not very scalable. And it's a very difficult thing to do uh, for long periods of time. And at that time, the way to grow my business was to go to China to make it affordable. And I started to dream of the idea that how could we keep manufacturing here? And one way of doing it was to start to look at smart textile and how these smart textile could be produced and also 
how we could we innovate in bringing manufacturing back through advanced technology. So being at Drexel gave me the opportunity to to try to advance those visions. That's great. So uh, I'm going to go a little further back. Take me back to 1986, 1987. Uh, I think you were still in Montreal, perhaps. Uh, and what was it about Philadelphia that caused you to say, I want to give this a shot? Maybe maybe you didn't expect to stay for 30 years, but... But there was a there was a, a an opportunity that presented itself for you, and and it included Philadelphia in your future. Mm. What were you thinking at that time, and and uh, was it was it um, everything you thought it was going to be and more, or how did that play out for you? And if it's okay if it was love, yeah, <laughs> it's okay if what if it was love, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I started my. Uh, my journey in the United States started in San Francisco mm-hmm. during that time. Um, and that was also the first time, uh, you know, when startup started, Apple, etc. So I think that th- my first few years in, in the U.S. were incredibly forming about being entrepreneurial, etc. Um, I-, I don't know if I can you know, uh, pinpoint why Philadelphia, but it's the only city in the world that I ever lived in twice. So I was willing to return. So there was a reason for that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if I have the fuller answer than that. But the history of textile in, 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 in the Philadelphia region, the Pennsylvania region, it was very attractive. Um, It was really, uh, Incredibly, um, it was a fit for me and for the kind of work that I did. But I also, it's more the passion to see the history and to want to bring back manufacturing of textile and to tap into the history to help us get and have the energy to rebuild it is something that's really exciting to me. Um, I've spoken to some people, uh, some factories uh, in the Pennsylvania region, and that was maybe 15 years ago. And I said to them, I would love to bring back manufacturing. And they smiled and they said, don't worry, it'll come back when we become a third world country again. And to me, I thought, no, that can't happen. We have to think about innovation, new ways of doing things. And again, Drexel gave me the opportunity to try and do that. I guess where I was going with my previous question is, what was it about Philadelphia that brought you here? Yeah, it was love. So that's not, that's a very easy, you know, it's just not, it's happens, it's a chance, right? A chance where you land somewhere and, and you, you say, this place works. And, And ironically, it may have happened for a reason because of what you were referencing earlier the textile industry in Philadelphia. How many other cities have a school that had been previously known as Philadelphia College of Textile and Sciences? Right. Uh, maybe there are others, but um, that's a sign right. <laughs> that you were going into the right place, I right. suspect. So, yeah, so Philadelphia University, but it's now Jefferson, was the one of the original textile school, and you're right. And I also went to University of the Arts, who also had a history of textile. So that history is throughout. The Fabric Workshop and Museum is another amazing example. So 
the history of, of textile is not forgotten here. And I think that it's, uh, like you said, in people's DNA, but also the resourcefulness, right? So we were known as the workshop of the world. And so how can we be that again? But you don't want to be nostalgic. How can we reinvent ourselves? Maybe we don't want to say that either. So we just want to be part of the innovation and we have what it takes as a city, I think, to do it. Totally. And and I love that perspective of how do we build on this strong foundation in history as we evolve to the next kind of experience, whether it's manufacturing, makers, innovation. And by the way, it's not just textiles. It's no. a lot of different areas, which right. is really inspiring. Yeah. But uh, and also it can't just be textile, right? Because I think that the the future will require us mis- mixing all these technologies together. So advanced manufacturing of textile can turn into composites, can turn into buildings, can turn so many things, right? So it's one of our, fo- our focus in at the Center for Functional Fabric is textile. But I think that we are well aware that textile alone can't solve it. No one technology can solve or bring, uh, you know, bring the solution to what we're trying to do. So it's going to be about being able to be open to mixed technology, new manufacturing technology. And what does that look like? I don't know. But we really have to push forward in supporting every aspect of advanced manufacturing, which includes not just the making of the product. If we're thinking about making smart products, we have to think about the Internet of Things, the communication system, um, the interaction technology. So there's a lot, lot to do. The functional textile and all other types of products that we're trying to make that needs to be connected require really, really large. It's a large system. It's a very complex system that we're trying to make. So Drexel's Center for Functional Fabrics, how unique is that? How many other centers for functional fabrics are there? You know, is it uh, is it a trend that we're seeing in other countries or other other universities? There are a few um, other institutes throughout the world that are focused, starting to focus on functional textiles. Um, of course, now, as part of the Center for Functional Fabric, we have the Pennsylvania Fabric Discovery Center that was just announced last November. And uh, this particular PAFDC, we call it, Uh, is uh, connected to Advanced Functional Fabrics of America. So um, you may know that um, throughout the U.S. now we have Advanced Manufacturing Institute. It's part of a network called Manufacturing USA. And the Manufacturing USA network has different institutes throughout the country on flex electronic 3D printing composite. And there's one on Advanced Functional Fabrics. So we worked very closely during the proposal phase to uh, establish this institute. The headquarters of FOA, Advanced Functional Fabrics of America, is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, They created uh, individual nodes that they call Fabric Discovery Center, and there are three Fabric Discovery Center in Massachusetts, the headquarters, one at Lincoln Lab, the Defense FDC, and one in Lowell, Massachusetts, the Lowell FDC. We are the first FDC outside 
the state of Massachusetts to be established. We're directly connected with AFOA and we're working with them to create the new textiles of the future. So we talk about fabrics as service, fabric as devices, etc. Lots of acronyms. Lots no, of no, that's, that was really helpful. And I, and I love that because where I want to go with this in that spirit is when you're speaking with peers and colleagues in your industry, what do you share with them about Philadelphia and the environment of collaboration and the spirit of innovation and kind of can-do attitude? Um, how do you distinguish that notion of, let me tell you why this works in greater Philadelphia? I think when they come and visit us, they get it, right? So I think that there's a passion that comes through when we speak about what we do that um, is pretty contagious. And so the can-do attitude is through demonstration, I think, more than trying to convince, right? So we, we try to really show and share the passion that we have and that speaks for itself i think jean-vieve dion drexel university center for functional fabrics thanks for being with us on growing greater philadelphia thank you very much Growing Greater Philadelphia is supported in part by many of our investors and partners, including Liberty Property Trust. They're a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Liberty Property Trust has been creating environments that have been helping businesses realize their full potential for nearly 50 years. To learn more about the Philadelphia Navy Yard and other Liberty Properties, visit libertyproperty.com. And by Drexel University. Drexel was founded in 1891. They're one of the region's top 10 private employers with three campuses in Philadelphia. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu. Check out all of our podcasts on radio.com and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. Philadelphia.